This is Guns and Butter. Somebody out there says uh, there's unclaimed transactions, okay? But it turns out that the person had said it before the, the, the closing date of the expiration, okay? So one of the things, and I love this paper by Chesney, but they look at how many days it took to execute all the put options after September 11th. And every single one of the cases they have here, all 37 cases, or at least for sure, all these cases, all of them were executed before the expiration date. There was no unclaimed nonsense going on. Okay. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Paul Zaremka. Today's show, Evidence of Insider Trading Before 9-11. Paul Zaremka is professor of economics at the State University of New York at Buffalo. He is author of Toward a Theory of Economic Development and editor of Frontiers in Econometrics. Paul Zaremka is also co-editor of Essays in Modern Capital Theory. Editor since 1977 of Research in Political Economy, this series of 24 annual volumes addresses economic and political issues from the perspective of the social classes involved. The Hidden History of 9-11, 2001, first appeared in 2006 as part of the Research in Political Economy series. Newly republished in paperback with updates from the authors, The Hidden History of 9-11 is a compendium of articles by different researchers into various aspects of the September 11th attacks. Today's program, Evidence of Insider Trading Before 9-11, was presented at the 2011 Toronto Hearings sponsored by the International Center for 9-11 Studies. Paul Zaremka. Thank you very much for inviting me to make this presentation. I am going to try and make it as simple as possible, but it's not a simple topic. Um, basically, I'm going to be talking about a contradiction between the United States government's report and econometrics, the science of econometrics, which I'm quite familiar with. And I'm going to try and explain these econometric findings that establish insider trading before 9-11. It is not the only financial question. It's only one of financial questions about 9-11. You can decide for yourself whether you think this is of high importance or medium importance or whatever you think, okay? However, the 9-11 Commission report did deal briefly with the issue of insider trading. So they have an answer to the allegations made that there was substantial insider trading before 9-11. Let me make a comment to begin about what insider trading is. Insider trading is taking advantage of knowledge that you have privately. It's not public information. It's private information that you have about a forthcoming event and you engage in some kind of financial transaction which will enable you to profit from that forthcoming event that other people don't know about. Okay? So insider trading in this particular case would be having knowledge of 9-11 ahead of time and 
and I'm going to be explaining what you do. Okay, there's various things you could do, but I'm going to focus on one thing that you could do in order to make profits for yourself from the forthcoming event. Sometimes insider trading is called informed trading. It's, uh, you see it both ways. I a little bit prefer the reference to insider trading, particularly for this, this topic, okay? Because it's not just I eavesdropped on some kind of news or some kind of information about what was going to happen, but I wasn't a participant in any way whatsoever. I just happened to find out about it and didn't tell anybody and, and then did some financial transactions to make money. That would be informed trading and not really inside. I mean, it would be encompassing insider trading, but insider trading is a little bit narrower description that you're, that you're in on it. Uh, so, and that's the way the financial press reported it right after uh, 9-11. Now, let me explain what I mean by it being reported. And um, later I'm going to tell you what exactly they were reporting on, but right now I'm just reporting what was happening. For about one month after 9-11-2001, there was reports in mainstream uh, financial press of huge profits being made um, on the 9-11 event by foreknowledge of the events, okay? That was... That was statements being made, and some of them referred to billions of dollars being made. One of the key statements being made referred to using put options. So I have to describe put options in, in the early part of my discussion. And I'm only going to be talking about this particular instrument to make gains on financially. Only I'm going to talk about this thing called put options because that's the thing that had the attention for one month including major financial publications like Barron's and it's the only thing that was answered in the 9-11 Commission report there is a lot of other things out there but it's a very defined topic that I'm dealing with today so now let me let me give a pictorial representation of where I'm going we have three econometric studies, one of which was published five years ago, the second of which was published just a few months ago, and the third of which is not even submitted for publication but uh, will be submitted very shortly. These are done by econometricians addressing the issue about whether there could be insider trading or informed trading before 9-11. Note that the Potusman paper from 2006 is published in the most, if you want to put it that way, bourgeois capitalist publication possible, okay? <laughs> the Journal of Business, okay? It has a high reputation, no questions about, you know, the, uh, the peer-reviewing process. I am an editor myself. I do, I, I I'll just tell you how I do peer reviewing of papers that come to me to, for publication. I try and get, when I see a paper come in, I try and get one person to review it who I know will be positively disposed, or I suspect will be positively disposed, 
and a second person who I think will be negatively disposed, okay, or may be negatively disposed, because if the negatively disposed person is positive, that's a really strong evidence to publish, okay? And if the positively disposed person is negative, that's, an, that's pretty good evidence that this, this paper needs more work or should be rejected altogether, okay? I'm just saying that the process of peer reviewing itself is not, you don't, you don't just say peer reviewing, that's the end of the ballgame. There's, there's peer reviewing and there's peer reviewing. Okay, this journal of business has a very high reputation. Uh, same thing is true with a multinational finance journal. Okay, it's, it's not as well established, but it's very well established still. The third one is not submitted yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll address that shortly. Now, the 9-11 Commission Report has one sentence and one long footnote addressing the issue of insider trading. And they say that, yes, there was these claims of insider trading after 9-11, that they were exaggerations, and it's understandable exaggerations, but we checked everything out. We had 40 people making these investigations, and we found that there was no, no evidence. Of, they said there's no evidence of financial insider trading before 9-11. And they didn't do this just with the question that I am going to deal with about put options. They also dealt with other questions, which I will mention a little bit. But they were mostly concerned about what I will be talking about. So I'm going to confront the government today. And now you may be surprised. I don't know what expectations you have when you came in here. If you had read my chapter in the Hidden History of 9-11, you probably will think that I will be saying that there was insider trading in American Airlines and United Airlines stocks before 9-11. Watch and see if you find confirmation of me saying that as we get toward the end, okay? So, we have on the screen three scientific works this third one, the Chesney, I'm going to take it as if it were published. Because I mean, it's really serious work. They have three people working on it. Two of the three are professors of finance in Zurich. Um, the reason it's not published yet is that they have expanded their work. And now, as I will be describing, and they just took time to get it ready. It's been about four years they've been working on it. They're very serious researchers. Anyway. So what I'm going to be basically saying is that there's a contradiction between the scientific work and what the 9-11 Commission report states. But I'm going to be doing that not just on what the Commission report openly stated it was available to you in 2004, but they've now released several memos that were written to the 9-11 Commission or provided to the 9-11 Commission, which explains why they said what they said, okay? And now it's just part of this process of releasing documents that were previously secret, no longer making them secret, okay? And that leads to a kind of a surprise, okay? So I'm going to be dealing with this contradiction, and I'm going to tell you at the end that I cannot solve the contradiction, but I'm going to suggest how to go forward to solve the contradiction. Now, I have on the screen a list of things that are not being discussed, and I really, I think I'm obligated to say so, uh, because there is really other important issues that, that need to be dealt with, which are financial questions. Um, 
For one thing, there is reports from somebody who was working in the area that there is huge increases in the M1 money supply in July and August of 2001, which is unexplained. There is commentary about huge financial transactions that are reported to have taken place at the computers at the World Trade Center, downloading of huge transactions in the minutes before the attacks occurred. Okay, I mean, these are people who were there who reported those events. Okay, The 9-11 Commission report did not address this in any way that I know about. There's also something I'm not going to talk about today, but I'll explain it just for one moment, and that's selling stocks short. For those of you that don't know, selling short says, if I go to American Airlines or United Airlines, and I know, or at least I highly suspect, that the stock price is going to go down, there's financial companies which will loan you the stock, you sell it, and then you buy it back later. Okay, you borrowed it, you have to buy it and give it back. Okay, that's short selling. You can make money on short selling by selling a borrowed stock and returning it at a later date if the price goes down. So in these cases, in the images here for American Airlines and United Airlines, that's a method you could make money if you knew the event was going to happen. I am not going to be dealing with that today, but the government says it checked it out, but I'm not going to be dealing with it because they gave me no evidence of what they did about checking that out. I'm not doing anything about markets outside the United States. Um, there is evidence, there's a lot of discussion about gold and securities that were at the World Trade Center, which have disappeared. They don't know where, where they went to. I'm not going to discuss that. I'm not going to discuss, which I think is actually very interesting evidence, to look at exactly which of the floors of the World Trade Centers actually had the planes coming into them, which firms were there, and why it might have been that the planes hit exactly those floors. Is it totally an accident that the planes hit exactly those floors? And what was on those floors? Okay, so that's uh, that I'm not dealing with. The same thing is true about the Pentagon. I mean, is it an accident about where whatever happened at the Pentagon happened? Okay, and that has huge financial implications also. I'm not dealing with that. Um, I'm also not dealing with Larry Silverstein. I think that one most people know about, that he acquired the lease on the World Trade Centers one through six, like six weeks before 9-11, uh, with insurance coverage for that and no obligation on his part if something happened, and he already owned World Trade Center 7. Um, so I'm not dealing with that either. That's actually a little bit more well-known. So that's what I'm not doing. You're listening to author and professor of economics, Paul Zaremka. Today's show, Evidence of Insider Trading Before 9-11. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So now let's go to what I am doing. Put options. I have to explain now what a put option is. And I'm going to explain some other things which are not so easy to understand, I guess. Okay. A put option is kind of like this short selling I was telling you about, okay? But it's not the same, so I have to describe it. It's in the so-called option markets, okay? You, you don't actually purchase a stock. You don't sell a stock or anything like that. You purchase an option to do something with a stock, 
you purchase the option for a specific period of time to be able to, in the case of a put option, to be able to put the stock for sale at a specified price, let's say the next six weeks. I'm not choosing six weeks by random because for the stocks that we're going to be talking about, most of the transactions had an expiration of October 20th of 2001. In other words, it's about six weeks later. So let me explain that again, okay? I'm not going to be dealing only with American and United, but whatever stock I'm dealing with, I'm mostly going to be referring to the option of selling these stocks, let's say, anytime before October 20th at the designated put price. For example, it so happens that American stock and United stock had almost the same price, just by accident, before 9-11, namely around $30. If you knew that 9-11 was going to happen on September 3rd, 4th or whatever, you could go to a, to a financial firm and buy a option to sell United or American stock, let's say, I mean, there's options. You don't have to say $30, but I'm being simple now. You buy the option to sell that stock for, let's say, $30 anytime until October 20th. And you know, or you think you know, that the stock is going to go down. When it comes to, let's say, September 16th or 18th or whatever, okay, you can decide to buy the stock, if you don't already have it, you buy American Airlines in the same day, same hour, same second, you sell it. You're buying it, if you're looking at the screen now, you're buying it at under $20, and you had that option to sell it at 30. You made $10 per, per share. That's what engaging in put options is about. There are other things you can do. It's complicated. I'm, I'm going to try and say simple, okay? You bought this transaction from somebody called a market maker. The market maker is obligated to sell you that stock at that. That's the obligation on, on his or her part to having sold you the option in the first place. You have the right to sell 10,000 shares at $30. That's his contract. So that's the first thing, except that I have to say that that $30 is what we call the strike price. That's the expression, okay? That's called the strike price. And there's an expiration, like, actually I think it's October 20th, but uh, it doesn't matter. There is only well-defined days where there's expirations. I mean, it isn't like every day of the week. It's like once a month, um, and it's a well-defined for all options. All of them are the same day of the month, and I, uh, maybe the 20th or the 22nd. Open interest. Now, this is one of the harder things to understand. Uh, I was just talking to this, this Professor Chesney, who is from Zurich, who is, I'm going to be referring to later, and he reports the same thing that I'm going to tell you now. This is one of the harder things for you to understand. He has the same experience when he tries to describe what open interest is. Open interest tells you at the end of a day or in the middle of the day or, or whatever, 
of how many contracts there are out there for a specific strike price for a specific expiration day. And it tells you basically the total commitment and we have the, the data is there. We have the total commitment that that people are obligated for. By the way, I should mention that buying put options cost you money itself, of course, right? It's not free. It might cost you a dollar. It might cost you two dollars. So the open interest tells you what is at stake at the end or the middle of the day. I'm going to say at the end of the day. And the level of open interest changes from three factors. First of all, people buying put options. That's obvious. That's what I've already described. You buy a put option. But you can also sell a put option. I could buy a put option. You could say, I want it. You could pay me a price and I'll sell it to you. That's a sale of a put option. Okay? Unfortunately, the data that's publicly available doesn't tell you the difference between my buying a put option and your selling the put option. It will describe a sale in the same way it describes a purchase of a put option. So unless you have the confidential data, you can't know that. There's much less sales typically than purchases, so most of it is purchases. But nevertheless, it's not clean data without knowing how much sales are taking place. But there's another complication, and that is that you can also exercise the put option. In other words, if I bought a put option on American Airlines on September 4th, I can decide, oh, I made a mistake, going to go the wrong way, you know, whatever. And I can decide on September 7th to exercise the option. On September 7th, I think American might have been slightly below, slightly below $30 and maybe I get out of this situation. That's exercising option. That means that that open interest now will decline at the end of the day. So the second and third papers I'm going to deal with, the second and third papers deal with the change in open interest. The first paper actually has the confidential data of the actual purchases that I said were necessary. And that raises a point that I want to I want to mention. Why did he, Potusman, professor of finance at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana, get this data? And the answer, I think, is that the Chicago Board of Options Exchange actually wanted to see whether we can do research work to actually identify informed or insider trading before or after it happens and prosecute when it happens. I think that there was a scientific question that they were happy to have Potusman address. All three of these people that I know about, to the best of my knowledge, are not 9-11, quote, truthers. Okay, they are academics uh, doing their job. Okay, I know f from talking to Professor Chesney that even in Europe, people are shy about dealing with his work because it's controversial. Okay, but I don't hear from him that he's a person who's focused on 9/11. In fact, his paper focuses 
on more questions than about 9-11, but other informed or insider trading that has occurred. Actually, slightly more. And let me skip over the volume of options transactions. It's connected to the change in open interest, but not exactly the same because you have to account for exercising and sales, as I have kind of mentioned. The next concept I have to mention is Quintel. Okay, A Quintel tells you if you have a random event, think of a bell curve. Most of you know what a bell curve is. Okay. A quintel will tell you how much of whatever variable you are investigating has occurred up to a certain point. For example, a quintel of 95 would tell you that 95 out of 100 or 19 out of 20 occurrences of that event would already have taken place when you got to that point in the distribution. So that would say that there's a 5% cases that haven't yet occurred. Likewise, a quintel of 99 tells you that 99 out of 100 cases have already occurred and a one is yet to come. Okay? Last concept I want to mention is hedging, which also becomes relevant for this discussion. Um, sometimes a finance person will, for example, they will buy a stock and they buy the stock or they advise their clients to buy the stock because they expect the stock price to go up. But they want to be cautious. So they also buy an option to hedge against being wrong. Okay, so that's what it is. Okay, hedging is typically it's buying an option to guard against your being wrong. And sometimes that can be worthwhile doing even if, even if you are pretty sure about where things are going. Okay, the next screen I have up here, I like to read this because Potusman, who did the first article discussing insider trading in 9-11, before 9-11, he did it fundamentally mostly on American and United Airlines, but not exclusively, describes what we're doing. He says, option market activity is motivated by a number of factors such as uninformed speculation. So if I engage in option trading, I, I, mean, I don't know what I'm doing, okay? So I would be speculating. I would speculate. The stock market is going to go down the, the next three weeks, so I buy a put option in anticipation of that. It's my speculation. So that's noise trading. Hedging, which I've just described. Trading on public knowledge you find out that the company, American Airlines, is going to have an unanticipated loss, and it's reported in the press as an unanticipated loss, and that leads to people going into the stock market and the option market to buy or sell or whatever. That's trading on public information, but what we're dealing with is trading on private information. In other words, information that people don't know except for people who are kind of insight or somehow captured the, the information. Consequently, when a statistic obtains a value that is extreme relative to its historical distribution, now that's where you kind of get to the issue of quintel. You're looking for extreme events. And when it's extreme relative to its historical 
distribution, one can infer that there is an unusual amount of activity related to one or more of the option trading motivations that I just described. Although the statistics do not distinguish between the trading motivations, if an extreme value occurs just before an important piece of news becomes public, then it is reasonable to infer that there is an option market trading based upon private information rather than a shock to the trading from one of the other motivations. Now that's a fundamental point that, that sort of is driving things forward here. Okay. In fact, when I come to the end, and I hope I have enough time to get to the Chesney paper, we really see it in stark colors with Chesney's paper more than any other. You're listening to author and professor of economics, Paul Zaremka. Today's show, Evidence of Insider Trading Before 9-11. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So now I'm going to move and discuss the three papers one by one and the contradiction with the government. So let me start with the article that appears in the Journal of Business. Now, this article was actually available uh, before the 9-11 Commission report was published. Even though it was published in 2006, there's a long lag time between it's being accepted and it's being published. And I would think that if the 9-11 Commission report were responsible, they would have known that this investigation was taking place and they would have touched base and found out what the results were and you would have seen it in the 9-11 Commission report. So the fact that the 2004 Commission report is two years before the publication of this doesn't mean that it wasn't available. In fact, I think David Griffin saw it way back in 2004, if I'm not mistaken. Now I'm going to try and describe what he does, and I'm only doing it in four bullets here to try and make it simple. All of these papers are not so simple. First of all, he looks at the change in the open interest, and I'm going to focus on American and United stocks. He looks at the change in open interest on American and United stocks for a very short period. September 5th to December 10th. He chose that because he had read some newspapers, reports or something or other that Bin Laden said something on September 4th and therefore that led him to believe that September 5th was a key day. The next papers I'm going to talk about don't focus on this particular window of days but that's his focus. And he looks at the change in open interest which I've told you about for those four trading days, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 10th. So he's looking at four trading days, looking at the change in open interest for those days. He compares that with a benchmark period of 126 trading days before that to see whether they are unusual for that stock. And now we go to even a more dramatic part. He actually looks at that and compares those data, those four pieces of data for each of these companies, and therefore eight pieces of data. He compares it to 1,000 pieces of data on the 1,000 largest corporations between January 2nd, 1990 to September 4th, 2001 to get this frequency distribution I was referring to and therefore to be able to get this idea of where the quintels are for the transactions that are occurring 
input options for American and United Airlines? The answer is that result would only have occurred on September 10th for American Airlines 1% of the time. There was 99 out of 100 cases you would not have seen on September 10th what you actually did observe on September 10th. He inferred from that 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 was evidence of informed or insider trading on American Airlines on September 10th. That's perhaps the most important thing I can say about him. It doesn't say certainty. It says it's a very rare thing that happened on September 10th, and therefore the implication is check it out. For United Airlines, it's similar, but not as dramatic. It's a 4% probability. Now we get to the 9-11 Commission Report. The 9-11 Commission Report says it did a careful investigation of what I've just been talking about, namely insider trading in put options on American Airlines and on United Airlines. Okay, And it says for these two stocks, before 9-11, we found no evidence of insider trading in spite of the fact that it seems to be suspicious. Why did they do that? What we read in 2004 is we checked it out and we are able to explain it. But they didn't tell you really, they didn't tell you too much about how they explained it, particularly on American, which is the more interesting case. So we get a release of a report that this guy, Sella, well, he was in charge of the investigation. He makes a report to the 9-11 Commission Report, which is not released, but it's what's behind what's in the Commission Report. Inside that, Sella says almost exactly what I would have done if I were an investigator. Okay, Sella says we investigated and we found out that there was a financial publication called Options Hotline, which on September 9th faxed to its subscribers a recommendation to buy American put options at $30 with an expiration of October 20th or 22nd. A recommendation is being made. Now, the 9-11 Commission report implied that that was going on, but they didn't tell who was the newsletter, who was the editor, you know, no information. It was just one sentence. What Sella does is tells you the name of the guy, named Sharnoff, okay? And the publication is called Options Hotline. It was faxed on September 9th. Furthermore, we found out exactly what the newsletter actually told its subscribers. I've just summarized it. That was obtained by a guy named Mike Williams, who apparently went to the options hotline and found out what they actually wrote to their subscribers. Now, how many subscribers do they have? They have 2,000 subscribers. This seller report doesn't just say who the option editor is and the name of the place, but he also says that they interviewed 27 of the subscribers 25 of the 27 said that they bought the option because the advisor advised them to do so. They don't say the names of the 25 people. Okay? I mean, that's confidential information. But they did what they're supposed to do. Okay. Furthermore, they said that there was another 25, 23, I don't remember exactly, other people who were subscribers to this options hotline thing 
who also, I mean, they have the data on who did, who also did the purchase. So we have about 50 people, 50 plus people who were subscribers to the option hotline who either said or half of whom we said and half of whom we can infer that they did, did what the option hotline recommended they do. In other words, purchase the put options on American Airlines on September 10th. And that's the government's Decela explanation of why there was a spike in put option trading in American Airlines on September 10th. If you want to make an accusation that Sarnoff was in on it, okay, if, I'm not going there. If you want to make that accusation, give me evidence. I'm not going there without evidence, okay? And even if I thought that he might be, well, why would he give that information to his subscribers? You'd think he'd want to keep it to himself and make profits for himself and not, not for his subscribers, okay? Anyway, there's no evidence. This is where, where you might be surprised, okay? I'm going to accept that. I'm going to accept that the government has found, quote, close to the truth, maybe exactly the truth, on American Airlines put option trading for September 10th as a result of what happened on September 9th, namely this faxed recommendation. 50 out of 2,000, that's 2.5%. 2.5% of subscribers did what he recommended, money and throw it, throw it in a waste paper basket. Okay? That must happen all the time. I'm going to accept that, okay? I'm going to accept that. That doesn't end the story. Go now to the next paper, um, which is by this guy Wong. Three people, University of Wisconsin, okay, Madison which is my alma mater for, for, for PhD, actually. And they did analysis, not of American Airlines, United Airlines, but something completely differently. They looked at the S&P 500. S&P 500 is the 500 largest stock companies in the United States that are traded. You can do option trading is not in a company, you can do it in an index. So they did a study of the index of the uh, S&P 500 and the paper is probably the most complicated paper in terms of, I mean, they even describe how you do option trading and then do it one way or another. It's not important for this discussion, okay? But they raise the issue that, hey, if you're really knowing about what's happening in 9-11 ahead of time, you're probably not going to do American Airlines. You're probably not going to do United Airlines. It's too obvious, okay? You'll do something where you're disguised, and you're disguised for betting if you want that language, you're disguised betting on the S&P 500. Now, this is really interesting, okay? Because they come to the conclusion that there is evidence of insider trading around um, the S&P 500 before 9-11, okay? But anyway, they find the evidence, okay, that there is insider trading in the S&P 500 before 9-11, and they also point out, as I just said, that it's the American and United are not the obvious place you would go. This is a more disguised place to go to. You're listening to author and professor of economics, Paul Zaremka. Today's show, Evidence of Insider Trading Before 9-11. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And they also... Um, Something I don't have time to deal with, but the government claims it did a thorough investigation. It had 40 people making investigations, 
And they did a thorough study and they found no evidence. And they included, when they said that, this is now like a 9-11 Commission background papers. When they did it, they said that they included the indexes. Well, there is in, in the written version of my paper, the quote of one of the guys who was doing the investigation, one of the principals, not Sella, a different guy, who said that we found we could not investigate the S&P 500 index because there's too much going on, okay? <laughs> so you have the, the government actually distorted its own statement by, by a written statement saying we couldn't analyze the S&P 500, and yet we get an analysis of the S&P 500, which shows it's insider trading with a high probability, but not cert nothing certain in statistics, okay? So now I have to go to the Chesney paper, and I'm going to have to do this as fast as I can. It's actually probably the, uh, the most important one in some ways. First of all, he looks at 14 companies. He doesn't look at just American and United. And um, he looks at five airline companies. He looks at five banking companies. He looks at, at four others. And he, look, he looks at put option trading for a 10-year period of time. Okay, There's certain, I mean, certain aspects of it I just don't have time to summarize. Pictures are important. Okay, that's the pictures of the two of the three guys, okay, that I got off the internet. Okay, they're from Zurich. But uh, I, I want to go to the to the bottom line here is that's numbers, okay? He looks at at spikes in put option trading on 14 companies over a 10-year period and after all the statistical stuff that's summarized here he finds that there's only 37 cases, which are strange. If you, I mean, uh, that, that rise to the surface as being extreme events. Only 37. Okay. So, as I say, all these three people. I mean, all actually, it's seven people. But uh, these three papers are—they're doing scientific research. I'm standing here before you as an econometrician, as a scientist, okay, and I'm making a, a statement about the government failing to follow scientific evidence. But it's not, it's not like, you know, physical evidence about the World Trade Centers. I'm, it's a different kind of evidence. It's evidence about put option trading. This is evidence. I mean, when I'm not speculating on something here. I'm only talking about evidence, okay? So what Chesney does is he looks at 10 years of data on 14 companies, and I'll make a footnote at this point. I talked to the guy a couple days ago, and he has an elaborated version of the paper now, which is instead of looking at 1.5 million pieces of data, he's looking at 9 million pieces of data, okay? He sent it to me, but I haven't even had a chance to even look at the, at the updated, but that's the one I think he's intending to submit. Put that aside. I'm going to stay with what I know about, namely the, the earlier version of this paper. So he's looking at 14 companies over 10 years. He does this quintel kind of analysis of you know, probabilities of things occurring, okay? Looking at banking stocks, four others, and five airline-related stocks, 14 in total. First, they identify for each day the put option contract across strike prices. Remember what strike prices are, I don't, won't repeat it. And expiration dates with the largest increment in open interest. Now, that itself is something, okay? I said that there's different expiration dates 
and there's different strike prices that are available that are that are being put on the market by these people called market makers. It amounts to about 54 different possibilities. If I want to play around with American Airlines for this coming October, I can do it. You can do it for whatever that expiration date is in October. They will do it for October. They'll do it for one year. Two years from now, they'll do it for January. You know, there's a whole bunch of different options. And there's different prices, okay, that are available out there. And the total amounts to about 54. So what they do, first of all, is just take, well, which, which one of all the transactions that occurred had the most activity? That's the third one. So I'm giving you a little bit of detail. This leads to a measure of QT, which denotes for each day the frequency that such a value occurred based upon, and then they look at the two-period prior history of that day. They look back two years for that stock option over two years and see, well, was that particularly unusual or not? Um, for example, American, and they cite American, American on September 10th had occurred at that level or more only five prior times in prior two years. In other words, had a, that, that, that spike had occurred, but only five prior times for American, okay? Then they add on something I'm not going to describe, and that is to try and take account of uh, hedging transactions, which you can't know that exactly. It's, it's a complicated. You have to infer what might be a hedging transaction, but they try to take account of it. Um, then the third step that they look at is, well, which of these were the most profitable in actuality, ex post, after it happened, which were the most profitable? Now, what's the result? They find that there are only 37 in all of, the, in all of that 10-year period for 14 stocks. There's only 37 events to be identified as possibly informed or insider trading, whatever word you prefer to use. Only 37. They're not focusing on 9-11, but it, it's in the period of 9-11. They find out that there's the 13 of the cases that they find are centered around 9-11. 14 are centered around what turns out to be later, a merger or a purchase kind of activity of a company or some kind of dramatic uh, uh, statement about earnings that are, that are going to come to the company. So, and in fact, they find out that out of the 37 cases, 33 they can identify with a real event that occurs after the purchase of the spike in the purchase option transaction. I have to repeat that because it's really important, okay? They find that this is all done by statistics, okay? So that, that's why it becomes dramatic. They find out that out of the 37 cases that they are able to identify, 33 out of the 37 actually occurred before a real event, which was, a, I mean, realize you're dealing with something prior to an event. So how would you know, unless you have inside information, that that event is going to happen, okay? 33 out of 37 cases have to do with a subsequent event 
only four does not have to do with it. They can identify it as doing a subsequent event. 13 of the 33 center around 9-11. That's what's on the screen. And then the rest I don't want to talk about, but it's the other things I mentioned. Somebody out there says uh, there's unclaimed transactions, okay? But it turns out that the person had said it before the, the, the closing date of the expiration, okay? So one of the things, and I love this paper by Chesney, but they look at how many days it took to execute all the put options after September 11th. And every single one of the cases they have here, all 37 cases, or at least for sure, all these cases, all of them were executed before the expiration date. There was no unclaimed nonsense going on. Okay. Now, I have to deal with a little bit about what's on the screen because this is really important. Now look at American and look at uh, United. They are not the big, they're not the big profitable ones. And by the way, the numbers we're giving here now are not they're from his their work but they really are not they don't depend upon the statistics okay but anyway Boeing is the big is four times more profitable than American okay and I can go down and talk about the other banking stocks and so on and so on but I'm putting out here the maximum gains now so what do I learn from this and this is now gets interesting I said that I agree with the government that that Sarnoff made its recommendation to its advisors to invest in put options on American Airlines, and I'm going to accept that. But now think about why Sarnoff might have done it without insider information, and actually there's a possibility that it needs to be investigated, and that is that somebody knew an insider information about Boeing or, other, or Delta or whatever, which was purchased those options were purchased on August 29th and September 5th and 6th. Sarnoff, who's an options advisor, could see, hey, there's big activity going on in airline stocks, particularly Boeing. Maybe I should advise my clients to buy, to purchase put options and that. And so he does so on September 9th, not knowing anything about insider trading and yet so he's following the leader, okay, of somebody who does know what's going to happen. Okay, so the persons who are investing in mowing. Okay, now, so where does that lead me? It leads me, first of all, to say that just because I said that American and United can be accepted, as the government said, doesn't, doesn't do very much in favor of the government story because they haven't told us anything else. They haven't analyzed anything else. So that's one thing. The second thing is I really, I really have to emphasize the defense of econometrics, the defense of science. I mean, these guys who I'm talking about, all three papers that we've been talking about, okay? If they are wrong, if all three of these papers, which use different methodologies, if they are wrong in their methodologies, I want to know, I haven't figured it out how they would be, okay? I think it is real is real evidence that has to be confronted, okay? And just claiming that the American and United can be explained away ain't enough. So my conclusion, which is now pulls me to the end, okay, is I'm now making a recommendation to the panel, okay? 
toward a resolution. Okay, I I accept United and American as not as not being evidence of direct insider trading. That doesn't mean it's not indirect, as I've described a minute ago. It could be indirect, but it, I'm accepting that that Sarnoff. I'm not accusing Sarnoff of anything, if you want to put it bluntly. Okay. I made a comment here, the second thing, that what Wong found out is, is not contradicted by the government because the government said it couldn't analyze S&P 500. Um, I see the chair of my economics department has written, I'm not trying to tell a story here, it's just true, I mean, he, he, is, he is in favor of the death penalty and did an econometric study which eventually appeared before the U.S. Supreme Court supporting the death penalty as a deterrent, okay? It got a lot of controversy. People made a big noise about whether his econometrics was any good or not. He's not exactly an econometrician, but he knows econometrics, okay? That's typically what happens in my profession when you have a controversial result. It didn't happen with Podesmanet and, and are any of these other. I, I know of no criticism of these paper, people are either they're scared to even deal with these with these issues, or they, they don't have a a reason to be to be critical. I don't know. It's there. It's it's somebody else's problem. Okay. It's, I'm just telling you that these papers are not contested to the best of my knowledge. Therefore, I accept this econometric research as meritorious, and that's what I'm, I'm recommending to the panel. You accept these econometric studies is meritorious and I make recommendations that the first of all you don't need to have initially a demand for a new investigation although I would I'm going to support that also just simply demand of the SEC to make the, the other evidence that they claim to have obtained on on uh, Merrill Lynch and Boeing and blah, 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 make that available in the same way that they made it available for American and United Airlines, okay, and S&P. Well, we know that they didn't do anything in S&P 500 because they say so, okay? That's my first recommendation, okay? Demand that, oh, you did the study, well, show us, you know, the same kind of thing you did for American and United, okay? And, and if... And you can make that list just the stocks if you want that Chesney talks about. But Chesney is going to be adding more companies, I believe, to the study. So you can add on those companies also um, when we get the uh, new paper. Um, so the last two recommendations are promote an independent investigation of the events of September 11th, inclusive of subpoena power, which includes investigations of put option purchasing. I mean, this flows from my paper, like, for example, the Gravel Initiative would be an example of that, which I support, okay? And the last thing I would say is that we go back to what I haven't talked about, that that independent investigation include all of these issues. We know who made these transactions, okay? But basically, yes, you can identify who did the transactions. That should not be a problem. been listening to Paul Zaremka. Today's show has been Evidence of Insider Trading Before 9-11, which he presented on September 9th at the 2011 Toronto hearings. Paul Zaremka is professor of economics at the State University of New York at Buffalo. He is the author of Toward a Theory of Economic Development and editor of Frontiers in Econometrics. 
editor since 1977 of Research in Political Economy, this series of 24 annual volumes addresses economic and political issues from the perspective of the social classes involved. Paul Zaremka has been a senior researcher at the International Labour Organization, Geneva, Switzerland, and a Fulbright-Hayes lecturer in Poznan, Poland. Currently working within the Marxist tradition on a book on the accumulation of capital, he has been a union president on his campus and is currently its grievance officer for academics. The Hidden History of 9-11-2001 first appeared in 2006 as part of the Research in Political Economy series. Newly republished in paperback with updates from the authors, The Hidden History of 9-11, published by Seven Stories Press, is available from the publisher and from Amazon.com. Paul Zaremka can be reached by email at zaremka at buffalo.edu. That's Z-A-R-E-M-B-K-A at buffalo.edu. The website is buffalo.edu forward slash tilde Zaremka. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To make comments, order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. You dig me? You got me?